So the passage I'll be looking at with you this evening is Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. I will be reading from the ESV because I was told that that's the version that you use. Jesus is speaking here and he says these words. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good, and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This is the word of our God. During the Korean War, some Canadian soldiers were stationed in South Korea. And they weren't on the front lines, they were back in the supply lines, and they were allowed to rent a house and provided a small amount of money to hire locals to do some of their housekeeping and cooking because they were quite busy, obviously, with their military duties. And they hired a young Korean man uh, who was grateful for the job. I mean, this, this allowed some relief for the soldiers and also allowed some uh, income for Koreans. And the young Korean fellow that they hired had an unbelievably positive attitude, always smiling, always pleasant, always eager to do his duties. So soldiers being soldiers, they decided to play some pranks on him. One morning, uh, one night, after he went to bed, they nailed his shoes to the floor. So he got up and noticed his shoes were nailed to the floor. So he got out a pair of pliers, pulled out the nails, and began his duties, keeping a positive spirit. Another time, they put some oil and grease on the knobs of the stove. So in the morning when he was preparing breakfast, he reached for the knobs, and of course, he got oil and grease all over his hands. But he wiped it off, and began singing as he was preparing breakfast. And they thought they'd crank it up a notch, so outside of his bedroom door, they put a bucket of water, so when he came out, the bucket came down and drenched him. And he dried himself up, mopped, mopped off the floor, never complained, time after time. And uh, eventually, you know, the soldiers began to feel somewhat ashamed of what they were doing to him because he had such a good attitude. And even with the pranks, he never turned angry or you know, lashed out at them. So they called him in one day and said, uh, we want you to know that we're gonna stop pulling tricks on you, these pranks, because your attitude has so been so good, we're kind of ashamed of ourselves. And so he asked, you mean no more shoes nailed to the floor? And they said, no, no more. No more grease and oil on the stove knobs? He said, no, no more. 
No more water buckets outside my door to drench me? They said, no, no more. Okay, then he said with a smile. Then no more spit in the soup. <laughs> now my wife wouldn't like that, she does, especially that last line. She wouldn't like that very much. But you know, that kind of appeals to us. We laugh at that because uh, we want to get back at people people who take advantage of us, people who make fun of us. And maybe if we can't do it directly, we'll kind of do it indirectly, as this young Korean fellow did. Well, Jesus, in these words, tells us that that is not how we are to respond and behave as his followers. In these words recorded for us in Luke chapter 6, he speaks directly to the tendency in us to get people back to get revenge for how they've treated us. In fact, he turns it around and says that the disciples are called to respond to hatred, mistreatment, and ungratefulness with love. In a sense, what he does is he flips it because in our society, and certainly in the first century Roman society, there was an ethic of reciprocity. You do something good for someone else, you expect them to do something good for you. That's just how it functions, and of course, that's the case so often in our day. But that's not the love that Jesus calls us to. He calls us to a love greater than that. So I wanna to suggest to you this theme in this passage that we'll look at this evening, that we as followers of Christ, those who call ourselves Christians, are called to manifest the gracious love of God to others, even to those who are enemies, even in the face of evil that people do to us. Now, two brief comments by way of introduction to this passage. <clears throat> Some people read this passage and conclude that Christians should have nothing to do with the enforcement of law in society, nothing to do with law courts, with the police force, uh, with the military, anything of that sort. That the this ethic of love calls us never to use force to try to uh, achieve justice. But of course, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Romans 13 makes it very clear that in a sinful and fallen world, God has ordained civic authorities to maintain justice. And so we have to maintain a distinction between a public office where somebody is granted the authority and duty to maintain justice, sometimes using force, and our private lives. So Jesus is speaking to us in our private lives and telling us how we are to behave, not by settling accounts, but being motivated by love. In fact, the love that God has shown for us. The second thing I want to highlight here is that in the first century, there was an ethic, what we might call of patronage, and that was very common, it's still very common in many parts of the world, where you had a patron, somebody in authority, perhaps a wealthy person, and you, uh, had some kind of relationship to that person. So the idea was that you would do something for that person and that person, your benefactor, would respond to you and do something for you. Perhaps if you were in a village, there was the equivalent of a mayor or somebody in charge. If you were working for somebody in their business. And in the, at the ultimate level, it was Caesar. Caesar was the great benefactor of the Roman Empire. And if you just did what you were told, and gave Caesar, through the local authorities, the proper respect and did the proper duties, then you would be a recipient 
of the graciousness of Caesar. Well, as I said, Jesus flips that, and he actually speaks against that in this passage. And perhaps we don't have quite that kind of uh, sort of social arrangements in our society. I think we sort of do. But he's really telling us to flip the ethic, to not engage in treating other people the way they treat us, or being generous to them if they are generous to us, but actually to transcend that and to manifest God's love to other people. So the first thing we need to notice that Christian love is the powerful instrument in the cosmic battle that we're part of. There's a conflict between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And through the grace of God in drawing us to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are part of God's kingdom. We are citizens of this kingdom that Christ has established. And so we are called to participate, in a sense, in this divine battle. Now, the ultimate weapon we have, of course, is the gospel, the good news of God, what God has done in and through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. But leading up to that, what we are called to do is to show love to people because evil must not be overcome by evil. That is on the personal level, of course, at the public level, public institutions, force has to be used to deal with evil of a criminal nature. But we are called to be agents of the kingdom of God through the powerful instrument of love. See, our tendency is to see our group, our party, our nation as the good guys, and the rest are the bad guys. But it's not that simple. The Soviet author Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was imprisoned for criticizing Stalin, he was sent to the uh, uh, concentration camps under Stalin, and observed many things of what went on there. He actually became a Christian while he was in the camps. But he wrote about those experiences in this three-volume work called the Gulag Archipelago, which I read all three. Um, and for that, he w received the Nobel Prize for Literature and eventually was exiled from Russia. But in that work, he writes these words. He says, if only it were so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. There's the bad people, put them over there. You know, that's many of these action movies. They, they sort of, they're caricatures of evil people. Evil people are evil and that's it. And then there's the good guys that fight the evil people. But Solzhenitsyn goes on to say, but the line separating good and evil passes through, not through states, not between classes, that's what communism said, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. We're all engaged in that struggle, even we Christians, right? This line between good and evil. We feel it, we struggle with it. We're the children of God. We're new creatures in Christ, but we still struggle with sin. But we know that Christ has won the decisive victory over evil through his death on the cross. And all those who place their faith in Christ, Paul writes, are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So in our day and in our lives, we are called to live out that victory by daily turning away from the evil desires that may be within us and the temptations that pull us to do things 
in, in a disobedience to God, and positively to the live, live in the ways of God's righteousness. So it's first of all within ourselves that that battle is fought. And we're not fighting it only with human abilities or human resources, of course. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of the risen Christ who is working the life of Christ in us enables us to engage in that battle. And one of the key elements, one of the key weapons, as I said, that we have in that battle is love. The love of God that flows through us because of the gospel. And it's that love that overcomes evil. When someone wrongs me, my temptation is to want to get back. And if I give in to that, for, for that desire for revenge or payback, I've been overcome by evil. I've given in to the wrong tendencies. Well, how do I resist? Well, it's not simple enough to just do it. Rather, you have to have something more powerful within you that can overcome the force of evil. Paul says, Romans 12, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so Jesus tells us in Luke 6 that that which will overcome the evil that we are tempted to respond to in kind is the love of God that is in us worked by the power of the Holy Spirit. And not only can we resist the temptation that evil raises within us, but we can overcome it. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. But love can do also more than keep us from giving in to people, giving in to the desires to seek retribution in our personal lives. Love can transform people. It can turn an enemy into a friend. It can draw someone to the gospel of Jesus Christ when we reflect the love of God. And so it goes beyond that benefactor culture that was so common in the first century Rome. You do something for your benefactor, your benefactor will do something for you. You submit to the authorities, Caesar will protect you. Sort of, right? It was a pretty rough and raw society back then. Jesus gives three examples of this uh, kind of mistreatment to, so people understand what he's talking about. Turning the other cheek, uh, somebody takes your outer cloak, give them uh, another uh, garment, and if someone wants you, to, wants you to bear something a mile, go an extra mile. Many people suggest that this was, uh, though it's not explicitly stated, this was really what, was what many of the Roman soldiers were allowed to do, right? If somebody was given an order, some civilian, and they didn't obey, they would be slapped as a warning. If they had the right, uh, if they uh, needed some clothing, they had the right to confiscate it from people. And if they had a burden to carry, they were, they were allowed to conscript people to take that burden a certain distance. And of course, soldiers being soldiers, they would often abuse that sort of thing, right? So he's essentially saying to them, these Romans, who the Jews didn't care for, that's putting it mildly, they, many of them hated the Romans, these pagans that are in there imposing their rule over them. These Romans who force you to do things and often mistreat you because of it, 
these are the ones that you need to respond to, not in kind, but in love. It's in the concrete situations of life that we manifest love. You know, our society talks about love, we love everybody. You go to a concert, oh, I love you all. But that doesn't mean a thing. It's just words. Jesus is calling us to love in the concrete situations of life, to love people that are not easy to love, to love those who mistreat us. Now, Jesus isn't saying that we should be used as punching bags. Tell everybody, every thief in town, you know, they can come to my home and take whatever you want. Rather, love often must be tough. In a sense, you could say that what the civil, when the civil authorities exercise justice in apprehending criminals and, and trying and, and uh, detaining them, that's a kind of a tough love. I mean, to, to, to manifest justice is to protect the weak from the strong who have evil intent. But even in our personal lives, we're called to love people, which sometimes must be tough love, so that they might be touched by the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ and be drawn to him. So seeing this powerful role that love plays and that Jesus calls us to in the battle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, I want to look more specifically at what Jesus says about the character of Christian love and how it reveals God. So we see here that Christian love transcends mere human love. The love that he's calling us to transcends the reciprocal kind of love that is common, was common in his day and of course is very common in our day. Uh, people often note that the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, was recognized by most societies and even in first century Rome. But the thing is, that's true, but the thing is that that golden rule as pagan Roman society understood it, was reciprocal. They said, do unto others as they do unto you. Not as you would have them do unto you. Do unto others as they do unto you. That's how it was understood. Now, Jesus isn't saying that reciprocal love is bad. I lend my neighbor tools. I want them back. And I hope my neighbor would lend me tools when I need them. That's not a bad thing. But the love he calls us to transcends that reciprocal love in four ways. First of all, it goes beyond self-interest. Because human love says, I'll do, uh, I'll do good to you if I get something out of it, if there's something in it for me. And of course, that kind of love is really self-centered love. It's about what I'm getting out of the transaction, what I'm getting out of what I'm doing for you. And so the kind of love that we as disciples of Christ are called to speaks against self-interest from the start. We're not to engage in love out of self-interest. Rather, our focus is to be on the other, the enemy, if you will, the one who hates us, who wishes us ill, who says terrible things about us, who mistreats us. You know, Christian love, agape love, calls us to do good to others without regard for what we get out of it. In fact, without any expectation of getting anything back out of it. Secondly, Christian love goes beyond just desserts. It doesn't look at just what the other person deserves. It pours, a, pours itself out on the unworthy, the ungrateful, the undeserving. As God's love is poured out to the ungrateful, the unworthy, the undeserving. 
So we are called to go beyond what people deserve, to do good to those who hate us, to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who mistreat us. And it's not passive. You know, it's just, I'll take it and I won't do anything or say anything in response. It's active. It's actually proactive in dealing with that. It's amazing that Jesus even calls us to pray for them, pray for those who mistreat us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in Germany in the Nazi era and who resisted the Nazis, thought that it was a mistake and Hitler was destroying Germany, of course, which he did. Uh, he was imprisoned for that and was executed just a few weeks before that prison he was in was liberated by the Allies. But he wrote a number of things uh, from prison to his followers. And he made this comment about prayer, prayer for the enemy. He says, this is the supreme command. Through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy, stand by his side, and plead for him to God. Plead for our enemy to God. That God would not treat that person as they deserve. And of course, that's what Jesus did on the cross, right? He's crucified, wrongly accused, a great travesty of justice. And his final words recorded for us in the gospel before he dies is, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We can also think of, of course, the deacon Stephen, Acts chapter seven, he was stoned for speaking out against the Jewish authorities. And as he's dying from the stoning, he prays that God would not hold this sin against them, reflecting what Jesus did on the cross. John Stott, the evangelical Anglican pastor, now with the Lord, said this, he said, it's impossible to pray for someone without loving that person, and impossible to go on praying for that person without discovering that our love for him grows and matures. It's always a dangerous prayer to pray, God, help me to be a more loving person, <laughs> because what God usually does is he brings people into our lives that are not easy to love, but that's where we learn to love, to love those that are not lovable, to pray for them that they might be drawn to the love of God in Christ. Thirdly, Christian love desires the good of others. Verse 31 says, do to others as you'd have them do to you. In other words, love means putting yourself in their shoes, doing things for their good as if you were in their place. Imagine if you're a non-Christian. I, I didn't only became a Christian at the age of 22. Maybe some of you grew up in the church. But just imagine yourself as a non-Christian. You probably know non-Christians. That person doesn't know God. They're locked up in a world where they're at the center. And deep down inside, there may be fear of the future, insecurities, deep hurts from the past, leading them to distrust and mistreat people. If you were in that person's situation, how would you want to be treated? Well, Jesus tells us that we need to treat them in a way that draws them to God through the way that we deal with them. God is the one who is holy, who is righteous, who is just, 
who is in no need of anything that we give to him, and yet he reaches out to those who are sinners, who hated him, who wanted to live their lives completely apart from him. That's the kind of God he is. And he is the God who calls us to be that kind of person. To give love to another, I have to not think of myself. I really have to focus on the other person. I really have to focus on the other person. <clears throat> a week ago, Saturday, we had some, some people gathered in my church to pray for a, a, a man in our church, Andy, I'll tell you his name, married with three small kids, because he was diagnosed with Huntington's disease. His mother had it, and uh, not all children get it, but it's passed on through the mother, and he has it. And Huntington's disease is not a nice disease. There's no cure for it. And it sort of combines all the symptoms of Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and uh, what was the third one? Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and uh, I can't remember the third one, right? But it's, it's not a pleasant thing. And so we were there praying, crying, and lifting him up to God, asking God to work in a powerful way in his life but that they may experience the love of God and to communicate to them that we're here for you. We're a community that's here for you. And there's nothing in it for us. It's what we're called to do in the family of God. Henry Nouwen, who left his position as professor at Harvard University, that little known university, you know, down in the States, and he left that and uh, participated in the L'Arche community just north of Toronto. In the large community, if you're not familiar with that community, there's, there's uh, communities all over the world, but they deal with people that are severely physically disabled. And I remember reading an article by him describing how he had his, his task at one point was to deal with this man severely disabled who needed to be gotten up in the morning, needed to be bathed, needed to be clothed, needed to be fed, needed to be watched over during the day, and then at bedtime, reverse that, right? Of feeding after supper, undressing him, putting him in his pajamas, cleaning him up and putting him to bed. And Henry Nouwen said, you know what I learned? He said, I learned that I thought that these people need us, and they do. But he said, you know, I've learned that we need them more than they need us. And the reason we need them is because God brings them into our lives so we learn how to love. Because this man could give nothing back to me. And as I cared for him, and as I prayed for him, I came to love him, even though he couldn't respond. He couldn't give me anything that I needed. That's what love does for us. It shapes us to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. And love, Christian love, flows from God. It transcends mere human love, precisely because it's, it's formed by God within us. It's not a love that's characteristic of the world. It's not reciprocal love. It's all that we show to the world around us that it's something that God does. It points to God. So that means it first of all reflects and reveals the character of God. Because our model is the self-embracing and constructive love of God. 
Jesus says in verse 35 that God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And of course, the greatest example for that is Christ on the cross. Paul writes in Romans 5.10, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his cry, the death of his son. God doesn't need anything from us. Didn't make him happy that we became Christians. Of course, he's pleased. He's glad when his creatures return to him and are reconciled to him and become his faithful and obedient children. But he didn't get anything out of it. And he sent his son, his only son, to die so that we might have life. So Jesus says, verse 36, be merciful as your father is merciful. It's God's love in sending his own son to die for us that we are to imitate. And in showing that kind of love, we, we show whose children we are. We show, it's never perfect, right? But we show in some measure that we are children of the living God. The people around us don't see God, but they see us. We're the representatives of God, if you will, and it's through us that they, came to see, they come to see the living God. When we show selfless love, we are telling them that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And the second way that Christian love reveals God is that it reveals the power of God. To love enemies that Jesus, as Jesus calls us here, is impossible at the human level. I mean, it's at a, I, mean, I don't want to say that non-Christians don't show this at some level. Often they do. But to really love them, to pray for them, to desire them to be drawn to Christ and to become new creatures in him, that's only possible through the work of God within us. A lot of people think that that's, that's weakness, Right. It's not strength, it's weakness. The philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who died around, I think he died in the year 1900, he wrote many books against Christianity. He said Christianity is for the weakling, for those who don't have any power. And he put forth the model of the Übermensch, the superman, not the guy with the cape, but you know, the man of power, the man of strength, the man who leads and dominates others. But he was wrong. He was absolutely wrong. The strong man who gives in to these desires for revenge and payback and all that, that's the weakling. It's easy to do that. That's just a human tendency within us because of sin. But it's the strong person so in control of himself or herself whose love is so powerful that that person rejects retaliation. In fact, it is the supposed, is it's, this, it's the weak one, whom Nietzsche called the strong, it's the weak one who gives in to that. Jesus gave himself into the hands of his enemies. When he could have called down legions of angels, as he told Pilate, he gave himself into the hands of his enemies. Why? For your and my salvation. So it's only possible by the power of God, because <laughs> Without prayer, without being rooted in the word, without fellowship with God's people, it's easy to respond to hate with hate, to injury with revenge. But when we show some measure of this love, we reveal God within us. One of the commentators, older commentator on this passage, 
wrote these words. He said, to return evil for evil is devilish. To, re to return good for good, or evil for evil, is human. But to return good for evil, that is divine. People see the power of God's spirit in us. And there is reward, right? The benefactor system gave you reward. If you do something for somebody else, they'll do something for you. But there is a reward here, and Jesus speaks of the reward. But the reward is not at the human level. The reward is at the divine level. And of course, it's not a reward for our works. It's not justification by works or acceptance by God because of our works. But it's, a, it's works that flow from what God has done for us in Christ and manifest our belief of what God has done for us in Christ. And so God sees that and is pleased, and Jesus says, there's a reward. I can't tell you exactly how that works and what that means, but there's a reward, certainly eternal life in the presence of God and the renewal of all things when Christ comes again. So this, this call of Jesus is to love our enemies, kind of love that overcomes evil, transcends human love, and reveals the love and the power of God. On October 2nd, 2006, a gunman with severe problems broke into a one-room schoolhouse, Amish schoolhouse in Pennsylvania, and killed five girls, and five others were, were critically injured. Teacher managed to, managed to uh, slip out, contact the authorities, the police arrived within limits, but um, the damage had been done, and the killer, by the name of Charles Roberts, had shot himself in the head after he shot these 10 girls. That evening, three Amish men went to visit his widow, who was staying with her parents, and just wanted to tell her that they didn't hold anything against her. Several miles away, an Amish man went to see Carl Roberts' father, spending about an hour with him. Didn't say much. Just wanted him to know that we understand your pain as a parent, and we forgive. Acts of forgiveness and grace by the Amish continued. The parents of several of the slain children invited members of the, slain, the killer's family to attend their daughter's funerals. And when Charles Roberts, the, Roberts the killer, was buried, more than half of the mourners were Amish. Most impressive, perhaps, because it required forgiveness to be order, ordered, organized by thought, the, uh, the committee that was set up to raise funds for the family decided to, to change the name of the fundraising from Amish to the community and they directed a significant portion of the donations to the Roberts family who were grieving what their son had done and for his widow and the education of his children. Many reporters, of course, and interested followers of the story asked, how could they forgive such a terrible, unprovoked, heinous act of violence against innocent lives? The Amish responded by citing the teachings and examples of Jesus. One Amish leader said, Jesus told us to love all, even our enemies, and to forgive those who sin against us. 
Of course they had to deal with grief. Of course they had to deal with the pain of the loss or a serious injury of loved ones. But ultimately for them, and I'm not saying I agree with everything the Amish do, but ultimately for them, the focus was on God's love for them. And they understood what the calling was, even in such a horrible, horrible act that this man did. Love is powerful. God's work at work, the divine work on us is powerful. It transforms our enemy into a fellow child of God. It is a powerful weapon to manifest the kingdom of God. And that's where we show the kind of God that we worship as he works in us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you as the embodiment of God's love for us by giving yourself, you have called us to this ethic of love. We know it's not love as the world defines it, love becomes a nebulous, all-embracing thing, but it's love joined with truth. We are rooted in the truth of the gospel, the truth of your word, the truth of what the gospel can do for people. And yet you also call us along with that to manifest love because love is essential to the gospel, your love. And you know often that we are prone to give in to uh, the sinful temptations that are there to respond with revenge or to not to do good to people because they mistreat us. Forgive us for that, Lord. And help us to be people that immerse ourselves in your word and come to you in prayer when we are mistreated, so that we would respond in ways that you want us to. Send your Holy Spirit. You know our weakness, and you know we need your powerful work in us. Enable us to be that, to manifest, first and foremost, your glory and the love that you showed, and through that, to draw people to yourself, through the power of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.